Welcome back. The Louis Bellina Show presented by B&B Automotive and Superior Auto Service. Our final hour on a Thursday. Rusty Burson sent me a text message and he said, just parked. And the weird thing about those kind of text messages is you don't know where he parked. It doesn't have to be your building. You, you don't know if you park safely. I see people park and they park like garbage all the time. And you're like... And I, when I do the radio show, I turn my phone off, so I don't know how long ago I got the message. <laughs> hey, Lou, what's up, brother? So it was very frightening. But in the end, Rusty Burson live inside the Charles, Charles Schwab studio. Rusty Burson, A, Aggie athletic historian, B, author C, wearing his Texas Rangers cap. Absolutely. What's up, brother? Hey, man, it's good to be here. Congrats so, on winning, by the way, the trade deadline. Well, I appreciate that. I really do think that they did. I don't think there's an argument. You yeah. got to remember something. I say trade deadline. They added Chapman. It was before the trade deadline. Right. But if you want to evaluate the moves they made, you add Chapman to Scherzer to Montgomery. Because you right. have to add Chapman. They won. It's not a contest. So they're positioned to at least make the playoffs. Agreed. I really, I mean, I don't know if they'll hold off the Astros or not. They won't. Yeah, I mean, it's quite possible <laughs> that they don't. But I think a lot of it depends on Evaldi and his health. If he comes back full strength, and then the other thing is, they got real good news yesterday on Jonah Heim, and they were worried he might miss the rest of the year. And so the hand expert out in Arizona said, hey, listen, you can play through this. It's just a matter of you putting up, swelling goes down, you can either do surgery after the season or not at all. He said, I, he, basically, according to the article I read, it was like, I've seen a lot worse. So huh. that was so his decision completely. Which he's already said, if I come back, I'm coming back. The other thing is with him, he's a le- he's a switch hitter. So he can protect the hand. He can protect the oh. hand and just swing from the left side, even against lefties. So that's another thing that's and he doesn't have to catch, right? I mean he could be the DH. That's why they got the guy from the Pirates. A lot of thoughts in everything you said. Hey, you mentioned Nathan Avaldi. You know, now with Montgomery and Scherzer, they can let them fully recover. Yeah. There's zero rush to bring them back where before you know they were going to be pressed. If they don't make those trades, they, they may have been rushed. They better brought them back right. half a day too early. Now, you can give them two days extra rest. Let's be honest with each other. B, you know this, but what we're first pitch two minutes away, Max Scherzer making his debut <laughs> yeah. for the Texas Rangers because the Rangers are wrapping up their three-game series. Day baseball, Max Scherzer. Making his debut. No, it's exciting. You know, I mean, Scherzer has not been his same self. I mean, he's got a little over a four ERA. But it's going to be interesting to see if he's re- rejuvenated by being in a playoff race. And He so, doesn't have to be the two or sub-two ERA guy. No. He just needed to be an upgrade. But how, let me get your thoughts on this because I know you know sports in general. It doesn't have to be Ranger sports. But what kind of boost was it for the clubhouse when they were starting to fade? They had got swept. By the Padres, they'd lost two or three before that. The dog days of summer were kicking in. And you go get Scherzer, and you go get Montgomery, and you show the commitment to winning, and you bring in that fresh energy. Just psychologically, what did it mean to this pennant race to show the whole clubhouse what's going on? I think it was a huge lift. I mean, I've seen that with many other teams, and even with the Rangers. You know, when they, they brought in Cliff Lee in 2010, and that was a huge lift. Lee was not very good in Arlington. But he's the only reason they got the World Series because he was gray on the road. He did not like pitching in the heat. I mean, it was, that's why he didn't resign. 
But it was such an emotional lift that they're like, okay, our ownership is buying in. And that was a good question because, I, like you and I have talked, I think the Rangers are a year ahead of schedule. So I didn't know if ownership was going to buy all in because they could have been like the Red Sox who didn't do anything or some of these other teams, the Reds didn't do anything. Yankees didn't do anything. I mean, they did baby stuff, but they did nothing effectively. Right. So the fact that they were able to get these guys without giving up anybody that they really thought would actually play for them. I mean, Acuna is a great prospect, but he's just a middle infielder. So he's not going to play where Seager is or Simeon is. He's not going to play before they already have to make another decision right, about exactly. the middle infield right. in, what, three to four years? Right. The only thing I'm – once they all went all in, the only thing I'm kind of surprised is they didn't trade Foskey too because Foskey is one of their top – he's the guy who played Mississippi State, the second baseman, who's you know really, really high uh, potential. But – they kept him. Maybe they can dangle him this offseason. I thought they might go get Emmanuel Classe, a closer or something like that. Uh, didn't think they would go after Verlander and Scherzer, although some people were talking about that. So it's a little pricey. I can see – this is going to be fun because I can see Verlander versus Scherzer in one of the three games in Arlington. Oh. And it would be – I mean, it's, it'll be great. It'll be a great race. I know I do want to see the Astros Rangers in a – I'd like to go best of seven. That'd I'd like fun. to see both pitching staff stretch. I'd like to see every combination play. A best of seven is a test of a team. Yeah, I, I best think of so three too. is garbage. I think best of three is too short. You, you know, you can just get hot by accident, or one team has a bad day. It doesn't have to be about you having a great right. day. Best of five is fine. I have no complaints with it. Best of seven is a test. Well, it's never happened. So they've never been in a playoff series together. So that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, you've seen the Subway Series, you've seen the White Sox and, and the Cubs against head-to-head, but you've never seen – you know, I go back as far – and you remember this too, but like in the 70s, Kansas City and St. Louis in the World Series, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was awesome to see that, you know, the whole state of Missouri. And if you don't think it brings something <clears throat> extra, you just haven't seen it or been a no, part of it. it. it exactly. So, the rivalry is already there. <laughs> I was down in Houston uh, – for the last series, the Rangers and Astros, and I saw a shirt from an Astros fan, and I went up to him and said, hey, man, I'm not crazy about what it says, but I love the attitude. You know, it said, Arlington sucks. <laughs> so I was like, hey, man, a little sports hate, it's, that's all good, you know. I'm, so- I'm pro-healthy hate. I've always been pro-healthy hate, without a doubt. It's just, look, I don't want people keying other people's cars. No. I don't want you attacking each other. Right. But... I, I want the hate. The hate is good. I'll go full Sith mode if I have to. But no, I love and it. again, we we use that word loosely, right? It's sports hate, right? So I mean, it's not real true hate. Um, I think people can root against each other and, and you know give each other a hard time without getting their feelings hurt. And that's, well, I don't know about that much. Hold no, on now. I, I think you can do it because I've sat next to enough you know Astros fans who are my friends. You know, I go with them to the games. You know, and. And, uh, you know, of course, we're a little healthy banter back and forth. So I have to inquire here if I could. Mm-hmm. You, you say you've been, you know, you, you've been with your Astro fans before and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. But that was before the Rangers were relevant. Now that, because before it was easy because you didn't have a dog hunting. Right. Now you got a dog hunting. Do you still think you can do this? Yeah. Matter of fact, did it with a good friend that I work with this year. And so we took him up to Arlington. And he took me and my wife down to Houston. So we each t- took turns, you know. 
except with him, he's single, and, and he only about, had about three tickets. I, I had to take my whole family, so I had about seven tickets. You know, so, <laughs> anyway. But, you know, it was fun. And uh, you know, I think all Astros fans see the Rangers coming. I mean, I was talking to a bunch of guys at Miramont. I was like, look, man, they're, they're coming. I mean, they're, they might not be – they're not there yet. But they get in the playoffs – Anything can happen. But you said a year ahead. I think they were two because I thought the minor league pitching was still a couple of years away, and I thought they were going to patiently wait for that, not go at three reclamation projects and have all three hit. That's right. not possible. No. I mean, the, the most talented guy in their system is a left fielder, and that's going to be Evan Carter. And so the fact that they're projecting him next year, because that's one of the weaknesses right now. You know, you don't have a true left fielder out there who's hitting – you know, Ezekiel Duran can play anywhere, and he's a very great – I mean, he's an outstanding utility guy. I mean, so he can play just about anywhere. Like, last night he played first base. After playing shortstop, you know, when Corey Seager went out. How about Corey Seager? Been out for 10 days. First at bat, he homers. Next at bat, he drives in two runs. I mean, that's, that guy's just a beast. It's nice to see both Seager and Simeon in the same year. You know, mm-hmm. last year you had one, not the other, but this year you have both. And Because you spend all that money, you deserve some payoff on it. I do. If, yep. I, I root – for anyone that pays, I do. I don't care well, what the team is. That's way because I want owners that care. Be. Yeah, exactly. I want owners that care. I, you know, and so I was watching the A's and the Dodgers late last night, and they were kind of talking about. It was on, you know, the MLB Network. So they're talking about how good an atmosphere Oakland could be when there was like 35, oh, 40. Back off. I no, know, I agree. Because how many times I've watched no. the Rangers and, and A's there. And there's like 45 fans and one drummer, right? There we go. So 4,500? No, it's 45. Right. I don't think that anything is going to keep them away from Vegas. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's that whole sell-off. And they were just talking about how they understand it. But there's so many teams that get into a situation right now, and they just sell off. And they're, just like, they're comfortable being bad for a long time. And now listen, the Rangers and Astros both did it. You know, I mean, I don't think the Rangers did. The Rangers were competitively mediocre. You guys were an 120-loss team. No, but they were a 100-loss team last year. One two, year. Two years ago. Excuse me, okay. two years ago. Yeah. The Astros lost 122 years and lost 100, what, three or four? I Because they went all in. Right. And, and, but that's how you build a dynasty. Right. And I have a good friend who's an Astros fan who I go to church with, and he goes, man, you know what? I want my money back because they're putting a minor league team on the field, you know. So, I mean, at, oh. that, at one time it was. But look at how they hit with all their draft picks. And that's kind of what you got to do unless you're the Dodgers or unless you're the Yankees. So I love kind of seeing New York in last place. I can't help but enjoy the Yankees in last I'm place. I'm so with you. So I'm so with you on that. Yep. You know, it's funny you mentioned how the Astros hit on their picks. They're still the, oh, the Mark Appel draft. Yep, because they had two number one picks right. that year, and they both are fl- just you know busted, flamed out, didn't work right. out at all. And and I just think to myself, for most organizations to have one draft with two number one picks and both number ones are absolute bust, that'd be devastating. Yeah, and it did not make the Astros flinch. A, it tells you how many high end picks they had because they stunk mm-hmm. for so long, and how good they were that two fails, eight succeeded. Right. Well, you know, the, the Major League Baseball draft is so much different than the football draft. It's because you get to see these guys in, in football for a couple of years, usually at least a year, and you can project these guys. You're drafting high school kids a lot of times, and you don't, you don't know about the injuries. So 
I, it's been interesting to watch the Rangers' strategy. Is that like the last five years, all they're doing is college picks. Like even this year with Wyatt Langford, I mean, that's a heck of a good pick for a team that was competitive. And they should have been picking like seventh or eighth, but because of the draft lottery, they got they got four, and so they lucked out. And a Langford's of, a hell of a good prospect down the road too. A lot of the experts I knew had Langford one, yeah, but couldn't do it because. Well, they couldn't do it because everyone said skeins back at the start of the year. But Langford was number one when you graded all the tools. When you did baseball analysis, yeah, a lot of experts had uh, Langford one. I, it'll be interesting to see skeins because I, I've seen all the comparisons, and they say Garrett Cole. I mean, they're saying he's the most developed college pitcher since Garrett Cole. And the Pirates drafted him, and the Pirates drafted Skeens. And so, I mean, those two LSU guys, I mean, Cruz is, was so good. When he was playing at a and was early in the season, but I just remember he was still hitting. This is the whole season. He was hitting like 700 for the entire season. Now, I know it, it came down as SEC play went along, as everybody knew it would. But that guy, it'd be hard to hit seven hundred on a D two non conference schedule. Uh, exactly, or little league. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like right now, I don't know if I could hit seven hundred <laughs> little league. But uh, no, nah, so that's a, it's one of the strongest drafts I think I've ever seen. Um, you know, the Tennessee pitcher, I can't remember. He was projected really, really high at the start of the year, but he, I mean, he fell down below. So it's interesting, but it's so hit or miss. You just never know. I mean, a guy like Mike Trout. Okay, you think so? Um, but you've seen like bus the number one overall picks. Too. I've seen so much data, you know, but you also know that you don't know, right? And uh, it's funny these 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 guaranteed pitchers like uh, Skeens, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's about sixty forty, which is a right. horrible rate right. for where you're picking, by the way. Exactly. And when I say sixty forty, towards two three contract MLB careers. Top three in the rotation level. That was the stats I saw, right? Right, right. What an awful rate. And, and by the way, here was the part that cemented how rough it is. That 40%, those weren't guys that went on to have nice careers. They were flameouts again. Yes. They were absolute busts. So right. 60% went to be top three starters slash you know, X number of all-star appearances. And the other 40 were never heard from again. Whereas somebody, Picking that high. Whereas somebody who was picked in the 17th round becomes your ace. I mean, it's just so bizarre the yes. way stuff like that happens. You know, he, he develops a changeup or he develops a couple different secondary pitches because most of these college, including Skeens, you know, because they said the guy has incredible velocity, but he's going to have to come up with some other pitches to get major league hitters out. And so, I mean, yeah, I think he's going to make it. You know, injuries withstanding, but it's just fascinating. You and me as a baseball fan, I always like to watch, you know, these guys. You project them out and see, okay, so if we could redraft, right? If you could redraft every year, the draft would basically be completely different. Yeah, it would totally be different. You'd look at the top 10, maybe two would be the same, things like that. We'll take a timeout. By the way, anybody could text me, but. Rusty's here. Why wouldn't you text Rusty? I mean, it's your one time a week that you can ask Aggie, uh, athletic historian and author. How many books again? Number total? Uh, 22. Oh, my God. Author of 22 books. Rusty Burson is with us inside the Charles Schwab studio. Text now, 979-693-1150. You can light up the Texas Mobile One Loop Express inbox. Welcome back. I know you're hanging out listening to some Rush, so you're like, Lou, shut up, don't interrupt. And Rusty and I are talking even more. <laughs> and I do mean even more, man, 
baseball here. I guess Astros, Verlanders. It's three to nothing White Sox in the first inning, by the way. <laughs> the Scherzer debut not going yes. as intended or planned, no. but yeah, I was joking. I'm like jet lag, fatigue, tired, etc. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. We go to the Texas Mobile and Loop Express inbox. Trey and Brian says, Rusty, what's your next book? Uh, you know, I've been working on some business books, but I've been trying to also convince a couple other former AM players to let me write their book. I, I especially oh. would love to uh, pin down Dan Campbell. So that, that would be fun if I could possibly do something like that. I'm always looking for the next one. You know, I mean, I'd, I've even approached Alex Caruso about writing you know, a book with him just because <clears throat> his story is so great. I mean, the perseverance he showed, you know, in that the D, would be, D League. Okay, that's awesome. So those are the kinds that I'm looking for. It's just a matter of, you know, can we – yeah, Mike Evans is another guy. I mean, but he, I was, you know, started my career in Galveston. He's from Galveston. So I think it would be fun to do something like that too. So how does this work? I mean, if you don't mind me getting inside the business of it, but you call him, he says, yes, that's it. you got to negotiate with agents. Yeah, There's it's, terms. It's, it's a it work? whole different deal when you got to negotiate with the agents. And so a lot of these guys, they want to hire some kind of New York writer or something. It's like, and that's the same thing that wanted to do. But then when, he, when it came out, it was like, he goes, I don't like this first chapter this guy wrote. It's like, will you write it? And so I think it helps if somebody like me who truly knows these guys, I mean, I covered Dan Kim. I know all about him. And so I covered, you know, Alex Caruso. Was that practically every one of his games? Watched him grow up as a ball boy and those kind of things. So um, that would be um, ideal. But, you know, I'm always looking. I've got a, I've got another A&M business book going on, too. And um, I've got a little uh, publishing company on the side that I hired a guy to write a Baylor business book. And so I've kind of edited Burn. that. Just burn it. <laughs> there's no Baylor business. There's there's some good uh, Baylor uh, grads in terms of like Drayton McClain. You know got they a had story. a basketball coach that fr- tried to frame a dead player as a yeah, drug dealer yeah. to cover up their uh, misgivings, I and know. they had a football coach and that came- had the chaplain help them cover up rape <laughs> and sexual abuse. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. to make sure. It was ugly. It was really really ugly. But more than once, I mean, I know. It, it's institutionalized with them. And everyone goes, and I remember this too before the Art Browse thing broke, when I'm like, dude, it ain't changing. Be- no, 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 they learned from the first one. Look at the changes they made. I'm like, it's Baylor. A cult was founded and formed and existed right outside the city limit there. It's, okay? It's true. It's Do you true. think it's just by coincidence? Well... You know what? I'm not gonna go down that line. I'll just I'll I'll gear I'll go somewhere else, man. Okay, I have a text message for you. All right, so. James. Uh-huh. Aggie football history question for Rusty. Awesome. One of my favorite plays of all time was a fake halfback pass by Curtis Dickey. Remember it? I, I've heard of it. I didn't I didn't see it. Okay, he says I believe it was a game against Texas in the late seventies. Do you remember what year and do you remember that play? And I guess no. The answer is no. I'll tell you this though. I I had a chance to interview Curtis Dickey a couple of times. So here's a small world thing. I was up at a Rangers game up in Arlington, and I, this guy looks familiar to me. He was actually working part time as an usher up in Arlington. Curtis Dickey was, and so what? A lot of these guys I did some you know flashbacks with. That was my deal at Twelfth Man 
uh, magazine, right? So we, we did a flashback every issue. And so it was so fun, like, where are they now? What are they doing now? The favorite memories and stuff. And so that's how I really started kind of developing such a relationship with all these foreign players. And Kathy Thomas and I got to be very, very close. And so we developed these relationships with a lot of these foreign players. So then when the capital campaign, the original one came along, I volunteered to raise money from the former players because it wasn't the first time I was contacting these guys, right? So it wasn't like somebody stranger, you know, asked them. So they, the uh, original capital campaign in 2000, which was for the Bright Center, we did a players' lounge. And the player, the former players at A&M totally funded that. So while I don't remember that play, I, it was fun to see, you know, I mean, run into guys like, Curtis Diggy, I see Bubba Bean all the time. He's, you know, here's local. He's a golfer, so uh, he played at the Boys and Girls uh, charity event out at Miramont, and so it's it's great seeing some of those guys. And and uh, I know so much of their backstories, right? So I know Curtis. I mean, Curtis was like one of the fastest guys in the '70s. I mean, what he did indoor track. He, they used to have indoor Southwest Conference indoor track meets at Tarrant County Convention Center up in Fort Worth. I used to love those because they would run the 60 instead of the 100 because they couldn't get the 100 meters indoors, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. And they would have pads the They'd back have of the wall. they space for it, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I just remember it was it was loud because, you know, the, it had those wooden tracks, you know. So it, And it was arched big time. So it was it was a lot of fun. I, that's, that's going way back, right? That sounds like it's old school because those kind of imperfections would not be ex- none of them and you listed oh, about you couldn't three do anything like none that. of it would be yeah. accepted it's too loud it's too curved i mean like the curves were sloped so you'd run the it wasn't the four by 100 but it was something similar it's like the four by 60 right because it was smaller tracks in general inspired by your comment thought right now how much innocence is lost in college athletics? Oh, everything, from man. 10, 20, 30, and we can both probably go 40 years ago, even though that's, that's stretching it most. But how much innocence is lost? Because you just mentioned that setup, right? Again, they wouldn't even start the meet. They, they would postpone. I mean, you know, there'd be lawsuits and everything, but that was every year. Right. And we didn't have NIL and kids state. You know what I mean? But how much is innocence has been lost? As the sliding scale of monies went up, well, you know, I mean, at the uh, debut of the that uh, film that they did at the George Bush Library, um, the All American, right? And so, Dad even talked about that. He's like, you know, if it was today, I probably wouldn't stay at A and M because I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have wanted a red shirt. I wouldn't wanted to work hard, and that's the shame of all this. It's not just Dad; it's all these athletes who. Would have been so much better off by sticking around one place, persevering. Even if you only played one year, you were star for one year, or you were a walk-on and you you, you hung it out, and and or you were a five-star who had to wait for two years. You know, you're quarterback, and so you developed underneath there, and you you learned how to be a teammate. None of that's going to happen anymore. I mean, those stories are dead and gone. Yeah. Now, from an innocent standpoint, you know, I mean, I don't know, Lucas. There's a lot of guys who've told me that John David Crow took a pay cut when we went to the NFL. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, there's, there's no doubt that uh, in order to recruit Texas A&M in the 50s, Bear Bryant had to go get some money. And there's well, just no doubt about it. According to everything you've read, we've read and been told right. that that's one of the first things he told them, right? He needed a bag. Right. Because if you looked at this place back then, I mean, now – 
Nobody Bronco. wanted to come no. here back then. Middle, they, true middle of nowhere. They used to call it Sing Sing on the Brazos. I mean, Jeez. it was that good. And there were no women here. So it was like, oh, man, that's a hard sell, right? So you had to do it with a little, uh, a little cash, I, I think. So the fact that they're getting paid right now legally is different, but by the same token, it's like, uh, I don't know about the innocence, you know? Fair enough. No, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. I just, social media world, exposure of everything. That's no loyal, thing. No I, loyalty. Right. Uh, it used to feel like an amateur sport. Right. Even though they got, okay, they got paid one time when they were recruited. I know there was other payments for some, but that was right. very rare. Now, everybody has to get some kind of NIL. Their four stars are better. Even... Sought after three stars have to get paid, and you have to give them raises each year now. Oh, exactly. And again, I just feel like it. it college football is not an amateur sport, and there's no contract to hold these guys to something like Correct. that. Correct. At least in it, the in professional sports, you. you have a contract. So at least in the business world, because this is all right. business now. Exactly. You have a contract that's only as binding as the lawyer says, but it's still a contract. Exactly. So I mean, it's it's not even. Co- I mean, amateur anymore, and that's, that's a sad what I'm thing. Saying. That's the I used the wrong word, I guess. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, that's a shame because we grew up watching it, and like you know, now I'm not opposed to players getting you know incentivized and those kind of things, but they open Pandora's box, and there's no, I, I don't think this is sustainable. I mean, I just absolutely don't think this system is. I've read, and I don't know how true it is for each school. That what's happening right now, what might make it sustainable, you know, we'll see. Again, if they have to keep giving raises and and each year, you know, inflation's going to go up. No, it's not. There will be a point. But facilities. You know, every year, every school is doing facilities. Like, at least the locker room. Right. We all knew facilities was garbage. Like, you don't have to. This is so wasteful. Didn't matter. They had the money because they made it. Facility money's going to NIL. A certain percent. Because people are realizing, no, so, if you give the kids the money, you can play in a shoebox. Right. Before you were – yeah, I see that point. Because before you could give the kids the money, you put all your money into facilities so that you could attract these folks here with the nicest facilities. And that's what Texas did with Matt Brown first. They kind of started that. And then A&M realized, uh-oh, look at Matt Brown, we're way behind. And so that's when A&M kind of reacted to the fact that, oh, look what Mac Brown's doing. And I remember, you know, there was, a, there was an attitude when Mac Brown first came on at, at, at Texas. That Signing them. Here's my early. favorite. Too early. No, no. Yes. Too early. Right. Who, who commits in the fall and the summer and the year? Right. No, no. I remember the – I'm not a recruiting expert. I remember everything about it because Mac Brown – Change recruiting across the nation, 100%. all time. He's one of the few coaches that you can put a pin on for seismic shift. I remember Tim Cassidy, the former A and M recruiting coordinator, who kind of laughed and told me, "He's like, yeah, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. And this is not the way we do things in Texas." And I, 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 I didn't know any different, you know. Well, he, he changed everybody for the nation. Oh yeah, for. It wasn't a, a state thing against A&M thing. Yeah, I'm not big. No, he changed the game. I'm not big on giving Texas credit. <laughs> but Mac Brown, he did change it. I mean, for, for, for forever, you know. And so now you're recruiting, you know, junior high guys, and you're looking at, you know, this ninth grader. Or it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, absolutely crazy. And early commitment works, even if the minimum of it, that, that just shows the kid how much you care. Yeah. Is how early you offer. Even if they don't commit to you in – their eighth grade year, 
Yeah. It just shows you're really interested in one school, eighth grade, the other kid is 11th grade. That's three years that that other school cared about the kid that you didn't. Then you find out who has the most money, and the kid doesn't care who offered him first. But anyway, but then the if, new world. If the kid gets redshirted, or if he doesn't, if he's back up, then he'll go to the other school anyway, right? <laughs> it's just like there's no loyalty. That's I guess that's what it is. It's like there's no loyalty at all. So it's like there's no doubt that you and I bleed maroon. So yeah, we're going to be loyal to A and M. And isn't that the thing though? Because we're t- now we're not talking about Rusty Author and Louis Sports Talk Show. We're going fans here. Yeah, and it's fans. We have nothing but loyalty. Right. We believe. And we want our players to be loyal. And it used to be true, though. Yeah. Because they graduated just like we did. They spent their five to eight years at school. Like we did. Right. 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 None of it's true anymore. Exactly. And that is a a disconnect. It's taking something away. And we bought into A&M, you know, and mine was after college, but I bought into A&M because I loved all the traditions and the friendliness and the howdies and all these things that went on in game day. And so now none of that really means anything to the players. It's just like, hey, are, am I playing or not? Right? That's it. We have the most wonderful traditions. How much do they pay me again? Yeah, exactly. And I hate to be so blunt about it. I know a lot of people are going to be pissed. Just, Of course they love it here. If you pay enough, they love it here. I mean, they won't even come here if you pay them. Once they're here, then they'll adopt, adapt into things and love it. Yeah. If they need to transfer, though, they don't care how much they love it here. But see, it's, it's the same thing. Like I mentioned no doubt when Von Miller wouldn't have stayed here. I mean, not in today's age, because I mean he struggled early on. You know, it wasn't until his upper class years that he really got it. But he never would have made it to his upper class years. And here. now look at who Vaughn is such an ardent supporter of Texas A and M. You know, it's just let's go basketball. AC Law wanted to leave. Oh, absolutely. And I think under the the now system, I think he completely would have been gone. I know the whole thing, what, he was except, talked out of it? Except no. for the one thing that I know this. Billy Gillespie did one heck of a job selling his parents first. And they he told them up front. And they, the parents told me this, right? It's like, he said, Billy said, your son's going to want to quit. Don't let him quit because I'm going to make him an NBA player. So and will so Duke, so will North Carolina, when, so so many schools. But you're right. But when AC called his dad, said, "I'm leaving, I'm transferring," he goes, "No, you're not transferring. You got one shot. You want to come home to Dallas? You work for me. You work in the garage with me." What if the transfer system was like where now, where you don't have to sit out the year, where it's mm-hmm. easy and free, and you'll get paid to transfer? And, and right? AC could have said, "Hey, listen, I, they're going to pay me more, Dad. I'll, I'll send some home." Different conversation, right? Exactly. Well, not send more home. You don't have to send me anymore, right? Exactly kind of thing. It, right. It changes everything, yes. and it's. I don't think any of it's for the better. I don't. Not either. as a college football fan, right? It's it's professional without a contract. That's that's what just irks me. You know, it's like, okay, well, the Rangers side Corey Seager for seven years. Well, he's not going anywhere unless they trade him, right? So, and that's what needs to happen. If you're going to pay, then contracts need to get involved. That's where I agree, and, and that's what. If, if, correct me if I'm wrong, what you fall to, if the universities cannot get this fixed, that's where they want to go. That's the next. They're trying to fix everything. They want Congress to pass laws. They want to fix it and keep it somewhat like we know. If they can't, it's got to go uh, with unions, even, and yeah. contracts. They got to go the business route. The, the NFL model, which uh, we've heard other coaches talk about. Unions in college sports. I, 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 it's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, I hate the thought of it. But it's certainly possible. Too much money, yeah. too many players, and too many states with no uniform code. It can't continue. And you know what? 
they keep rising the price, keep raising the prices of tickets, and we keep paying them. You know, that's the reality. And they wouldn't do it if the Aggies didn't pay it, right? Rusty, I gotta let you go. Enjoy it. Not because I don't like talking to you, but I know you got other things to do with your life. Next Thursday, hopefully, we'll do it again. Yep, let's do it. Rusty Burson inside the Charles Schwab studio. It's a Thursday thing. He hangs out here on the Louis Bellina show. That was kind of fun.